Hi there and welcome to another episode of African Business Stories, your insights into female innovators and entrepreneurs building and running businesses in Africa. I'm Akego Koye and on the show today, I'll be chatting with Joycey Awoshika, founder and CEO of Oriki Group, a wellness and personal skincare company. We talk about starting her first business as a 13-year-old, her career in the power sector in the US and in Nigeria, and the journey to setting up a truly made-in-Nigeria beauty brand. We also talk about how she turned her passion for structure into a new business. Let's get into it. Hi, Joycey. Welcome to African Business Stories. Hi, Kego. Glad to be here. So I understand that you were born and raised by Nigerian parents in the Washington, D.C. area. Yes, that's correct. So, so what was that like? Did you grow up conscious of your Nigerian heritage at all? Quite an interesting question. Um, I definitely grew up understanding and knowing that I was Nigerian. Um, my parents did speak, you know, their native language to one another. Um, so we did hear it often. But then there was also a bit of a divide um, in the sense that mom and dad um, definitely raised us in a way where, let's say, for example, Nigerian foods, um, the kids ate different foods than dad did. So my mom prepared food. <laughs> she would prepare for ourselves, I mean, the children, maybe the typical spaghetti, mac and cheese, different things. And then my father would have his, you know, pounded yam and stuff. And I didn't really understand how different it was until I got a little bit older and started asking my mom, why? Why do you segment it? But I definitely knew I was Nigerian. Where did you go to college and what did you study? So I went to school in Maryland. Um, I went to school in Baltimore specifically, and I studied two degrees. I studied business management and energy economics. Um, I did come in as a dance major. Wow. So my background was a bit interesting. I studied, you know, ballet, tap, modern jazz growing up. And um, I thought I was going to do dance, you know. And so I chose a school that could appease both my parents and I because they had a very strong dance program. But then they also had sciences and other aspects as well. But I stuck with, I ended up doing the business route. Interesting. So so how did you end up in, in New York? So New York is an um, interesting story. I just had it in my mind. I think part of it was because of the background in arts and dance in modeling, I just knew I had this affinity towards New York City. And so literally by my third year in school and university, I was trying to find a way to make it to New York. (laughs) And I had landed this amazing internship with a power company um, based in Baltimore City. And I was working there all summer, making connections, relationships. And then I realized that they had a New York office. So I started creating um, relationships and you know, made it clear that by the time I graduated, I would have loved to have an opportunity in their New York office. You finished college and then got that job. Yeah, actually, before school finished um, my senior year, I actually applied um, for an opening. Okay. I went to New York for a weekend, um, had my interviews, a, a round of interviews. Um, and then I, I landed the job four months before I graduated. Okay, so I great. Moving, yeah. Great. So how long were you working with the power company for? Um, total of three years. Um, okay. And um, I obviously did an internship with them for a year as well before I was fully recruited 
full time. Okay. At what point did you start having this itch to to go to Nigeria? Because um, I understand that you made your first trip to Nigeria as an adult. Yeah. So I was. So what what led you to 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 make that trip? You know, um, the itch grew more and more year by year. Um, mm. As a child, you know, I was I was just discussing this the other day. As a child, I was always eager to know more about my roots. And um, it just never happened because at that point, the control was in the hands of my parents. Um, so working in New York City, I think one of the crystal moments for me was working on a new project for renewable energy. So we were pricing um, really big contracts, specifically working on a deal with Walmart, and Walmart wanted to go green. You know, this was a time when everyone was trying to have clean energy, green energy. And I remember sitting there and thinking, wow, I'm traveling around the States looking for a way to help Walmart buy clean power using things like the sun, the wind and water, you know, solar, wind and hydro. But yet every time I hear about my native country, what they talk mm. about is the lack of power. How can I make a difference? And, you know, I guess it was this whole big audacious dream type of thing. Yeah. But every day I became more and more restless. And I thought, if anything, let me just go and take the knowledge that I've learned here and see if I can work on something solar or energy related in Nigeria. And that's when I made a decision. One faithful June, I just decided that it was time to put in my resignation. Wait, wait. So it it wasn't that you went to visit. You decided to quit and move to Nigeria. Absolutely. That is very interesting. So, so I mean, we're going to come to talk about you being a process and structure guru later. But I'm assuming that you've always kind of had that trait. So, so what was your plan? You you didn't just up and go, or did you just up and go? I upped and go. I upped and went. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow. Um, you know, I called my mom <laughs> and I told her that I was going to be moving out of my apartment in New York. Um, I needed her help, you know, and she just was like, what's going on? I said, when you get here, I'll tell you. And um, I just decided at that point that there was nothing to lose. Um, it was a big risk. Um, I will not, you know, downplay that. It was a risk in the sense of that I was building a career, but it wasn't a risk from the point of view of if it didn't work out in Nigeria, I'd come back to the States. That's how I looked at it. Um, so I, I, I did all these things that would allow them to see how serious I was. You know, I got a visa to go to Nigeria. I started making connections with people I had met over the years who had more ties to Nigeria just to kind of figure out if I could get a role in the power sector. So I started my own recruitment campaign. Okay. And um and then I moved. Did you have any friends in Nigeria? I didn't. I didn't know anyone in Nigeria, but there was one saving grace and that was that I had a really good friend from the DC area who went to Nigeria often. Okay. And he happened to be going around the same time and and said, "Oh, because I selected I chose to live in Abuja, um two major cities, Abuja and Lagos, and I chose Abuja, which is the capital." And so he said, oh, I'll be there. Um, I can help you with, you know, a few things if you need anything. So we, I think we traveled a week apart. So how did you choose Abuja? So I chose Abuja based on the advice of the people who I'd been calling. So the people who I called were just people I met um, at various African business conferences. Right. Um, around that time, almost 
a lot of the schools, Harvard, Wharton, had begun doing these African business conferences, and I would always attend, just trying to make um, meet people. And um, when they started to ask, what do you really want to do? You know, making sure I really understood what I was signing up for. Um, many of them suggested that Abuja would be an easier place to kind of settle down into, um, being that it was government there. Um, the infrastructure was quite better than Lagos State at the time. And so I mm. chose Abuja and I looked for opportunities in Abuja. That's so interesting. So you arrive in Abuja. This is now, what, 2011, 2012? 2011. And, and you, you, you have a couple of roles in the public sector while you're in Abuja. Can you just talk to us a bit about your, your stint in Abuja? <laughs> yes, absolutely. My first role was with the Nigerian Electricity Regulatory Commission. It's a mouthful, but it's NERC. And I worked specifically in their renewable energy department. Um, I was able to bring some of the knowledge I had learned working for Constellation Energy um, and just kind of give them ideas on how to go big with solar. I mean, Nigeria has so much sun and how to utilize other aspects to kind of power the country. But again, it was it was very much, um, uh, I would say, almost like an internship type of role. Why do I say that? Because it was a major... It was a major pay cut um, and working in any government parasol, you actually have to fulfill something called service year. It's called OISC, um, Nigerian Youth Service Corps. And so they just told me that this is a stint for you, three to six months. Um, we'll pay you as a pay cut. But if you want to stay longer and work, you can do NYSC. So I actually did NYSC. Um, wow. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, I did NYSC. And um, from there, I NYSC year was interesting. I, I served. So I basically worked at the same place, the same NERC throughout my NYSC year. And then from there, actually, um, I had met so many people during the time working um, in the power sector. And I think that the work that I was doing began to catch some attention and I then got recruited and headhunted for a role with the Ministry of Power. Um, at the time, it was to work as a technical advisor to the incoming Minister of Power. Okay, that's interesting. So so what was living in Abuja like? Um, living in Abuja was interesting. Um, from the point of view, of course, it was a it was a it was a culture shock. Right. Coming from the States, um, a lot of things that I thought were easy to do, like catching a taxi on the side of the road, not having a car there, you know, moving around, were all a shock. Um, additionally, of course, I didn't have friends and family there. So it was a bit isolating. So I literally submerged myself into work. Um, but it was exhilarating to work in what I felt at the time was the midst of power, like the ability to make a change. So I just kind of um, blocked out the noise of, you know, missing people and missing friends and family and focus on work. Um, but I did learn quickly that as much as I did work in the government, it, it, that might not have been the best route, route to make a change in Nigeria. Right, right. I read that you, you started your first business at 13. I did. You've had this bug to be an entrepreneur for a while. Yeah. What, what was that first business, by the way? <laughs> so I started the Babysitter's Club. 
Um, I started the Babysitter's Club simultaneously with the candy shop. The Babysitter's Club came out of um, the fact that there were three different families in my neighborhood that always wanted me to babysit. Right. And I would have to choose between which one I could do on any given day. And then I realized that they all had a need. And why don't I work with other teenagers in my neighborhood, mm-hmm. kind of train them up and say, this is what the McGugans wanted want when you babysit them. This is what the Jacksons want. And then take, basically they paid me to set them up with different homes. It's such a crazy idea. Now that I look back at it, I'm like, I was making commission at the age of 13, (laughs) but you know, beyond that, what other things I did was I just was always problem solving. Right. So in, in middle school, we had no, we did not have a candy shop. We didn't have a snack shop. And every time between the breaks, we were always looking for something to snack on because lunch was just once a day. So I turned my locker into a candy shop wow. and I went to giant, um, giant stores and I bought all the candy and chips and snacks, put them in my locker. And in between classes, my locker had a line of <laughs> stuff. We had literally three to five minutes to sell. So guess what the school did? They took my idea and they started a candy wow. shop. But I still continue to sell my snacks as well. <laughs> That's so awesome. That's so awesome. So 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 you moved to, to Abuja and you still have this entrepreneurial spirit. And I understand that you, you tried, you, you had quite a few side hustles while you were, were working for the government in Abuja. Um, can you just talk to us a bit about, about those? Yeah, so... Funny, interesting, one side hustle actually was bigger than anything that I did um, entrepreneurial-wise in Abuja. And that was I started um, in the hair business. Um, Again, solving a problem, walking around Abuja, going to work with, you know, the human hair extensions that I wore, which I have always had a knack for. And every lady would always say, oh, it's different. Where can I get it from? And I remember calling my mom one day and say, listen, everyone's asking me, I better monetize this opportunity. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, Akego, a little small idea where I just took a couple hundred dollars worth. And because I was, I was actually worried that the shipment wouldn't come to me in Nigeria. I actually shipped the hair to my mother's home in DC and she shipped it to me in Lagos. That was the first order, a couple hundred dollars. It turned into me supplying the biggest beauty, um, the biggest beauty salons across Abuja. Wow. Started off by I remember when I did my first ten thousand dollar order was this huge hair salon in Abuja. She, she's still like one of the biggest. And she said, Listen, when you come in here, everyone's always asking about your hair. And then you're selling it. Can you help me to be able to sell? I said, sure, not a problem. So we did a wholesale order. That was the first one. Her next order, she said, can you help me label it? Can you help me? Mm. And it turned into that. And then I began to create like reps. So the the stylist wanted a piece of the pie too. Of course. They, you know, they felt like we're selling our madame's hair, or however they put it. So can we also make commission? So they began to sell the hair as well. I give each stylist three bundles complimentary, three different types of hair. They'd show it to their clients and they'd place an order and they'd make commission 30, 40%. Wow. That's one business. And then I did, you know, just a few, a few others here and there. I'm just always trying to solve a problem. I saw customer service was a major issue 
everywhere. <laughs> that was one of the culture shocks. So I started a secret shopper company. Oh. Yeah. And I still utilize, I don't have the, I don't do it as a business, but I utilize it in my own company. You know, I utilize that service and idea. Um, I got a lot of no's because a lot of Nigerian owned businesses at the time did not see the importance in investing in customer service right. because in their exact words, people are going to come here anyway. I'm the best restaurant in this area. So no one's going to, you know, no one can challenge me. But then over the years, people have become more and more keen on excellent service delivery. Hmm. That's so interesting. So, so you're doing all this, you have the side hustle, you have your, your job with the ministry. And you said earlier that you started, you know, coming to this realization that maybe this is not the best way to have impact in Nigeria. So, so can you just walk us through, you know, that thought process and how you decided, um, on you all, you decided you wanted to go into entrepreneurship, but how you decided on the particular business that you were going to go, you know, all in with? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, truthfully speaking, um, I, I dream of a Nigeria where, where the government and the leadership, you know, um, actually cares more about its citizens. So what do I mean by that? Um, I was working in the power sector and I, I would offer, I would proffer solutions, other experts would proffer solutions, and we would just see the solutions end on the piece of paper, right? So imagine you're in a meeting and you're saying like, this is how we can solve this issue of power in this community. We can utilize gas or we can do this. And it would never go to the next level it became really frustrating for me and it almost felt like I was just, I was just talking and writing, but there was never going to be any traction with these ideas. Um, and um, I remember the day that it really clicked for me was I left a meeting where I was blatantly told that this is not how it works here. You can have the greatest idea, but if you don't have X, Y, and Z on your, you know, on your side or interested it's not going to work. And that day was a, was the day I drew a line in the sand that I was going to be resigning. And um, I could do it. I could do it. I had a lot of opportunities. I could have joined a private sector power company, which I ended up joining as advisory. Right. So um, I could start my own, which I felt like was a lot of capital at the time. And it wasn't something that I wanted to go into, but I always felt like I would always come back to serve. So I put in a resignation um, and it was a shock to the entire team because it was an election year. Hmm. And that just meant that, you know, potentially the president would come back. And if the president comes back, then, you know, it would be another chance potentially to come back in for another tenure. But I just wasn't really focused. I, I'm really, really big on impact. And so, okay, go. I, I started to think about what are my other passions and Thinking about my other passions happened well before I resigned. Right. I mean, you know, when you're in Nigeria, the thing about Nigeria is you see opportunities every day because there's so many gaps. Um, one opportunity that I saw was that we have so many resources in Africa. Um, we have ingredients that the other parts of the world crave and desire. Many people know Nigeria for shea butter, um, maybe also cocoa. But there's so many other things. And I begin to say, how can I place play a role in this aspect? And so I began the journey of starting Oriki. 
And Ariki is a wellness and personal grooming skincare brand that utilizes ingredients sourced from Nigeria and Africa, creates luxurious finished goods, and also gives people a wellness experience using our own ingredients as well. Wow. So what does Ariki mean? Ariki is from the Yoruba tribe. It is um, a Nigerian word, and it means your crown, your inspiration. Um, it is a word that is used when someone is is being encouraged. So, for example, as a young child, your grandparents, and if you're a Yoruba, they may have an Ariki name for you. And your Ariki name is what they will call you when you've just accomplished something amazing. So it's meant to bring out the best in you. And that's that's our desire with the Ariki brand. Wow. I, I, I love on you. I was looking at your website, actually, and, and um, the line that struck me the most was where you said, you know, leaving a piece of Africa around the world. Yeah. Your your business model is slightly different because there are lots of people who have skincare brands in, in Nigeria. There, there are a lot. It is a slightly saturated market. So, so how did you come in and um, choose to differentiate yourself in, in the market? So... I knew that was going to be a an obstacle, a potential obstacle, the fact that the market seemingly is saturated. Um, so I thought, you know what? I want my customers to have an experience. Um, think of Sephora um, or a, maybe a Mac. You know, when you go in and you want to buy a new product, you get to actually touch and feel most of the products. They have a tester. So I did two things. I created an experience where people can come in and test all the Ariki product range. We started off with 32. I wouldn't do that the same if I did it again, knowing what I know now. But 32 products were open for people to come in and experience. So you didn't have to commit until you came in and open and tried the avocado and pineapple mask. You know, And once you did, you could purchase one and take it home. The second aspect that I brought um, a fresh idea was the fact that our products are spa grade. What does that mean? Um, um, Our moisturizers can be used as a moisturizer after having a facial. Our mask and our um, scrubs, same things. So what we did was I started a spa. Um, Interesting enough, when I got the building for Ariki, the plan was the products, was literally a product showroom. But there was enough space to take the, sec- the the top floor, which would have been offices, and turn it into a spa. And so people began to come in to book spa sessions. And then you're asking mm-hmm. afterwards, what was that lovely toner that you used on my face? Okay, well, the toner is downstairs. And that was how we began to build the, pro- I mean, push the product brand through the services. That's so interesting. Okay, so so as a startup, there are all these we do normally talk about startup challenges and what what people go through, access to finance, you know, expertise and all that stuff. So in in your building your business, how did you how did you raise the the capital to to start up and how did you close the knowledge gap um for yourself and for for your staff? Fantastic. You know, um Starting the business in the capital was definitely um, something I had to think about. I had savings um, that I had from even New York and um, from the Ministry of Power, not the first opportunity, because as I said, that was more of an internship. But, you know, I had savings accrued and that would be enough to go ahead and launch the product range. 
and launch the, the, the store. But when I wanted to build the spa, that was another level of, of capital. Mm. Um, this is why I say it's really good to build relationships. I had heard about different opportunities and grants people were giving for novel ideas. And mm. while working at the Ministry of Power, I actually had the opportunity to speak in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, um, you know, with a lot of government leaders and business leaders. And around this time, I reconnected with some of them and I found out about a grant that I could pitch for and apply for. And okay, good. that's how I got the funding to start the spa. You know, I pitched for this grant, sold the idea about how I wanted to leave a piece of Africa with consumers around the world, that the spa was my business model, one of the models to attract customers. And I started thinking, I thought it was just going to be one location then. So I just told them about what I wanted to build and I won this grant. And the grant is what allowed me to do phase two, the spa. For the knowledge gap, that was really critical for me. So, you know, when I resigned, I took about a month, traveled to the States and Canada, um, went to go and meet with um, laboratories and contract manufacturers to understand the process of building the skincare brand. I had also started a course, which took me several months to get accredited in natural skincare. Um, have taken several more since then um, with some of the leading schools. They were online. And I um, and I just submerged myself into learning as much as I could about building, you know, this business and building the industry, whether it be online or in person. So where do you manufacture your product? Nigeria, 100% now. Tell us about that. Because in the very beginning... I had dreamt of manufacturing in Nigeria. So I went around and thought, you know, the best way to do this without putting more capital or finding capital for a factory is to find already existing skincare manufacturers and then either purchase their downtime, their Mm -hmm. space during downtime or see if they can contract manufacture. But it was a sad, sad journey. Um, I went around and around and I was just really um, disappointed by the state of all of the manufacturing sites and facilities that I saw. I didn't trust, I didn't feel good about producing my products in any of them for different reasons, whether it was sanitation or um, their ability, their processes, their SOPs, it just didn't fit. So I actually had to find a manufacturer in Canada that was willing to use um, ingredients right. sourced from the continent. I found a match made in heaven. I found um, a, a vegan, a, a brand that actually sourced 80% of its ingredients from Africa already. That was their personal passion already. And then I was able to sit with them for weeks and go through my products, do test runs, do samples. And I started with Canada. But it was a mental, um, it was always an issue I faced, you know, am I truly Nigerian? Is this truly African? Is it really telling the Ariki story? Because we are producing these in Canada. Um, to, uh, thankful to God, a year and a half later, we built our first um, facility. I first called the first place a mixing lab in Lagos. And now we have a proper production facility and factory in Lagos. Wow. How did you, how did you fund that? Two things. I, I built a team of people who had experience 
already working. Um, so we have everything from a botanist, plant scientist, you know, a microbiologist, the chemist. They're all on the team. They're all Nigerian, fully born and bred. And that's what they've been doing. And one of them has been with me since day one. She was my administrative officer, but she was a microbiologist. So it was naturally easy to transition her and promote her into a role in production. Um, Funding it, it is another thing I'm proud of. The company funded the entire development of the facility. We funded it through our own revenues. Well done. So, so you set up in 2015, (laughs) and 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 in the five year period, you established six spas. I read three of them. You 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 own outright. I mean, that is amazing for growth. That is so amazing. So how have you been able to achieve such scale in such a short amount of time? Well, this is where I like to talk about the other part of me. (laughs) I have a knack for processes and structure. Um, To achieve scale, you have to be able to replicate what you're doing with minimal interference. So you need to, a lot of people kind of confuse growth and scale. You know, growth is okay, growth in revenue, growth in the number of locations, fine, growth in your team. But scale is being able to say, I can open this second or this third location and it does not affect my current processes, my current operations, I can replicate seamlessly. And how I did that is by creating structures. Um, what does that mean? That sounds like, you know, a word, you know, that people throw around a lot. But what it really means is being able to actually document all processes, all tasks, um, all the roles in the company and ensure that if someone if I wasn't in the picture right now, someone could actually build this same thing, build a new location using the exact same processes that were followed. Um an interesting story. While I've always had this administrative knack and this um, this desire for process or let's say structure and processes, um, my life trajectory actually influenced it being such a focus in Ariki. Um, the year I started the business, I got married. Okay. Shortly after that was, I got married in 2016, and we were expecting our first child immediately. Um, you know, from from you know, from, from getting married, from getting married, we found out a couple of weeks later we were expecting. And literally I had to figure out what I was going to do about Ariki because it right. was a new company. Um, so I started researching and just looking into it. And I thought, I just need to make every single employee an amazing employee through and through without me. They had to be completely conversant on what was expected of them, excellent at their jobs. And I used a tool called um, SOPs, standard operating procedures to do that. Um, and that was why we were able to run and flow for the five, six months that I was out of the country. Interesting. Um, the company grew and um, I came back and had my baby and I got, I was expecting again. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so literally that is why I've become. And so I'm a really big advocate of it because I know a lot of people say when I'm not in my business, it's not the same, but then that's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, the fact that we were able to put all these procedures in place and, and delegate and automate as much as possible allowed an opportunity for other people to approach us to build their spas 
And then it allowed us to also approach buildings to build spas. And that's how we started um, scaling. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. We will come to talk about um, the the process and structure um, business that you have now. So, so this type of growth obviously doesn't comes with its own sets of challenges. What challenges have you faced with with this growth and scaling, and and how have you dealt with them in the last few years? Um, it definitely comes with human resource challenges, um, okay. ensuring that the experience is the same in every single one of our locations. Um, I had to combat that by deciding that it was important to outsource to experts wherever we could. Um, I believe in delegating when you can. So we have a group human resources officer, and that's her her role, figuring out the KPIs for every single employee, determining standardization, and making sure everyone is fulfilling their job descriptions and their expectations. Um, that was one challenge. Also, you know, structuring the company as far as capital, um, accounts, Making sure we always had, because revenue is very different from profit, and making sure that we always had working capital to be able to fund the next project. So by the time we built Oriki number two, we realized this could be a thing. We could actually build multiple Orikis. So why don't we structure our finances in a way where every single month we're contributing to an account where we're basically accruing money for the next Oriki location? At the time that when we're ready, we would have the money in the bank. That was another um, challenge with. And then leadership. Leadership, mm. leadership. Obviously, in the very beginning, I was really, I played a critical role in the operations. But I don't, let's not forget that my dream is really the products um, to scale and for the products to be distributed globally. And so the spa, in a way, was an interference um, in working on the strategy for products. So I had to groom and bring in leaders that were operationally sound and excellent. And it's it's sometimes it's hard to pass on your baby to a general manager and let them be fully in charge. And you're far removed from what's happening at the spot. Mm. But that was critical, very critical for us to be able to grow. Wow, that's that's awesome. So, so we we've talked here and there about you being a process and structure guru, and um, it seems like you have a new business or a new venture of of sorts. So, so can you talk to us? I think it's called Soar. Yeah. So, so can you talk to us about uh, about that? Yes. Um, you know how um, people can come to you for questions over and over again, and then you realize that there must be something, you know, something here if I keep getting asked the same things over and over again. And right. I found that a lot of entrepreneurs would say, Joycey, how did you scale your company? I have a dream to open multiple locations, or I am stuck with human resource challenges. No one seems to get it. I'm tired. I'm overworked. And I would share. I would share what I did. I would you know, have a quick conversation and analyze and provide strategy. And then the testimonials and the feedback were, you know, enormous. And um, I didn't take it to be anything I could monetize until really 2019. Um, and again, more so seriously in 2020, in the midst of this pandemic. Um, and that was because people really needed help. You know, and it used to be, 
it used to be it used to be worrisome for me to hear of let's say for example a female entrepreneur who would say that because she was building a business in Nigeria and she got pregnant she was shutting her doors down until she had her baby and could come back because not one single person in the company could manage it and mm. so it started with me sharing and helping friends and family and other people complimentary and then it turned into can you can I have strategy session with you can you create SOPs um and for a while I didn't think I was going to be able to do anything further than my one hour conversations here and there until I realized that why don't I add a structure to being able to help people and that was to create templates Right. templates and documents that would help business owners, the same ones that I created for myself, would help them be able to scale and to grow. And that's how Soar was born. Wow. So how has it been? You know, I know it's a new it's a new venture, but how has it been? What's the what's the uptake been like? Soar has been phenomenal. Um we now have five employees. Wow. We work full time for Soar. And we are always looking for more and more ways to help people. My role in SOAR now is I'll take on the strategy calls um, based on my calendar when I, you know, when I can. But the day to day is people looking for templates, um, standard operating procedures. Um, I created a course in 2020 in March um, that allowed people and business owners or employees to come and learn how to create standard operating procedures and learn how to utilize them. And um, it took off, you know, um, a lot of people purchased it and have been using it and the testimonials have been phenomenal. Um, in addition, I, I just, I work with, um, with, with entrepreneurs one-on-ones, right? Helping them to reach their goals when it comes to processes and structure. Um, and it's been, it's been something that I have seen is really needed during this time, especially a year when many people didn't think they would make it past this year. Right. But just having a session or putting some processes behind their business or structure has helped them to realize that it's possible to continue and push on. That's awesome. So, so my, my final question, Joyce, is, is what's next for, for you personally and, and what's next for, for Ricky? Right. For me, um, I, want, I want to really inspire and encourage and help as many. I'm specifically passionate about, you know, female um, working moms, um, mompreneurs, um, moms, professional, you know, professional moms who are trying to find that balance between all that's on their shoulders. Um, I, that gets me more excited than even um, building the company or, you know, building Ariki as, and that says a lot because I'm, you know, very excited about Ariki, but I just want to be able to see how I can help more people achieve um, all that they desire to do with less effort. So for me, um, I, I definitely think people will see more of me speaking about, about that and sharing opportunities, you know, to learn how to balance, you know, both their personal lives and their working lives. Um, and then for Ariki, there are a lot of exciting things on the plate. We um, are basically, we're building a franchise model. We're right. going to give opportunities to other people to become wellness entrepreneurs um, across the world, really. And um, we want to be able to empower people to 
get a piece of this important industry, you know, spa and wellness. And this year has even shown us how important it is to take care of yourself. You know, people have really, really subscribed more to the spa um, than before. And also we're distributing more and more around the world, um, adding on new distributors. We're about to launch a new product range that I'm very excited about. Yeah. I look forward to sharing that, um, passionate product range it came from somewhere very personal you know with the world awesome awesome thank you so much for sharing your time with us and we wish you all the best that was joycey awoshika the founder and ceo of oriki a wellness and personal skincare company on the show we continue to explore what scaling means to female entrepreneurs in africa and how to achieve this Here are some of my takeaways from today's conversation. One way of measuring scale is your ability to run a business with minimal interference. Secondly, in order to scale, you need to put the right structures and processes in place. And lastly, monetize. Identify that opportunity, passion and skill and monetize it. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. It will help us greatly. I'm Akego Koye, and you have been listening to African Business Stories.